The reading is in two parts. The first part is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 9, which can be found on page 185 of the Church Bibles. The second part is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17, and that is on page 1197 of the Church Bibles. First of all, Deuteronomy chapter 6. These are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. To Timothy. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. If you're able to turn up the Bibles to page 1197, 2 Timothy, that's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. The title I've been given is God Speaks to Us How to Read the Bible. I'm afraid I've been a bit naughty this morning and slightly tweak to the title. I'm going to really seek to hopefully give us a motivation to read the Bible uh, rather than a how-to. So we're going to try and be motivated. Let me read um, a verse from here and then we'll get going. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Heavenly Father, as we look at this part of your word, we ask that you will indeed speak to us and remind us of the wonder of your word as it points us to Jesus Christ. Amen. Between 1971 and 2007, the share of the population of England going to a Sunday service in the Church of England fell by half. Half of the attendance of the Church of England vanished in just 36 years. 
Some statisticians are saying that this decline has slowed. But judging by the average age of congregations in Hampshire, and that's pretty much always above the retirement age, uh, we are in big trouble. In 30 years' time, the Church of England, if it continues at this rate, will really be on its knees. So I want you to imagine that you receive a call from Lambeth Palace. Justin Welby has asked his chief of staff to appoint you as a consultant for the church. They've been doing some reports recently uh, called things like Reform and Renew uh, as they want to to try and turn this trend around. And um, they want your advice at this difficult time. And the question really is, what's the single most important strategy for the church's ministry? The most important thing the church needs to do to survive into the next generation. I'll have a think for a few seconds. How would you answer if the phone from Archbishop Justin rang? What would you say? What would your gut reaction be uh, to that question? Well, I would suggest that Timothy, the recipient of this letter from Paul, is also in a difficult situation. He's living in Ephesus and many are turning away from the faith. Uh, The Apostle Paul is also in a rather trying situation. He is in prison uh, and he's on death row, basically. And he is now convinced that he's not got long left to live. This letter uh, is probably his last great message to the church, certainly the last we've got recorded uh, of what he said before his death. How will the church survive into the next generation? That is really on Paul's heart. What has Paul been urging upon Timothy? Timothy, uh, who is effectively one of Paul's main successors. Well, the message of this short letter is pretty clear. Hold fast to the message of the Bible, the message of the apostles' teaching, and the belief and the behaviour that come from it. Or to put it simply, the one thing that is needed for the church after the death of the apostles is to hold on to the Bible. Now, at first sight, this this may not sound that convincing to many. Maybe some have doubts about this. Maybe you're new to St Mary's, and if you're honest, you're pretty sceptical about all the emphasis on the Bible here. Putting such confidence in it just doesn't seem that sensible. You might uh, be persuaded, but be tempted to think like a member of my family who just said to me, it's uh, ancient scribblings from a primitive culture. How ridiculous to put our trust in it today. It may be, though, that you've got doubts for another reason. It seems like a sort of quite a narrow strategy, doesn't it? To put all your eggs in this one basket, this one book. Aren't there other sources of spiritual wisdom or spiritual experience to tap into? Part of the problem Timothy was facing was the fact that people were giving up on the message of the Bible, pursuing different kinds of ministry, and some seemed to be having success, at least outwardly, at least for a time. There's a third reason we might be tempted, though, to give up on the Bible uh, and its belief and behaviour. And that's because of the first part of of chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. Uh, In, well, verses 10 down to 15, basically, you could say, uh, Paul is basically saying, sticking with the Bible means suffering. Let me just read a couple of those verses. Verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance. 
persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Verse 10 starts with a contrast. He's spoken in verses 1 to 9 about some fake forms of of Christianity. And now he says, you, however, Timothy, uh, look at my example. Look at the example of the apostle in contrast with the fakes to see what true, authentic ministry looks like. And he lists his characteristics in contrast with the bad list in verses 2 and to 5. And so verse 10, Paul speaks of his teaching, his conduct, his aim of life, his faith, patience, love, steadfastness, etc. It's very emphatic language in the original. He's strongly reminding Timothy of what Timothy already knows. The first two things in the list, I think, sum up what is important for Paul, his teaching and his conduct. Faithful Bible belief, which leads to godly behaviour. Those two are intimately connected, according to Paul, in this letter. Authentic Christian ministry holds them both together. But the difficult reality from Paul's life is that when you hold to the Bible's message, chapter 1 of this letter tells us it leads to suffering, and then when you live out the Bible's message, chapter 3 is now telling us it invites suffering. Paul reminds Timothy of the things that happened to him, things that happened in these three towns in Asia Minor, Antioch, Iconium and Lystra. It's in Acts 13 and 14. And Timothy was a native of that area from Lystra. And so Paul is just reminding him of what he knows uh, about these things. And then in verse 12, he makes it clear that this is always the case. It's a general principle. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse. Not might be, but will be. The godly living that comes from the Bible's message also invites persecution. I wonder if you've experienced pressure, flack, abuse, or anything like that from seeking to hold to the Bible's teaching. It may have come about in lots of different ways. Uh, maybe, maybe you've just avoided gossiping uh, or sharing in gossip with your friends or colleagues. And And maybe some people just sort of look negatively towards you as a result. It may be that um, holding clearly to the Bible's teaching about honesty with money, uh, never, you know, doing things like fiddling your expenses, that kind of thing. Well, some people in some context might take real offence at that because it shows up their practices. It may be to do with holding clearly and publicly to the Bible's teaching about sex and same-sex activity. And some people will not like us uh, for holding on uh, to that teaching. If we live out the godly life inspired by the Bible's message in this world, it will stand out and some will persecute us uh, for it. If you were at the hustings this week, uh, I won't name the candidate by name, but I thought one of those candidates showed thinly veiled hostility, really, towards the questions uh, about some of these things. So this kind of persecution might tempt us to give up on the Bible or to keep quiet about controversial aspects. Or it might just make us have doubts. You know, are we on the right track? Sticking with the scriptures. But 2 Timothy, uh, this letter, makes it clear that suffering because of the Bible's teaching is normal and should be expected. It shouldn't take us by surprise. In fact, 
it should be a surprise if we're not getting any trouble for it. Not being persecuted. Actually, that's the mark of the false teacher in verse 13. The evil men and the imposters go from bad to worse and nobody gives them trouble for it. Now, if we're not getting much flack at the moment, don't overly worry, but be thankful. But if it is the case, it is, I think, right to at least ask the question, is it because I'm not living out a godly life inspired by the scriptures? We are not going to be persecuted all the time, but if it comes, and when it comes, we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised. It is normal. So then, what will positively encourage us to stick with the Bible, to devote ourselves to it? Is it worth it? Well, Paul's message, and this is verses 14 down to 17, is the Bible is all you need. The Bible is all you need to do the ministry, the service that God wants, and to live the life that God wants. It may be tough. We may want to throw in the towel, but the scriptures are sufficient, says Paul, so never, never, never abandon them. Look at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learnt and firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learnt it. He's saying, remember, Timothy, under the pressure you're under, remember those people who taught you the gospel, who taught the scriptures to you. Uh, In his case, uh, Timothy has a godly mum and grandmother, uh, Eunice and Lois. Remember, verse uh, 15, how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. If you stick with this, Timothy, uh, you are on the right track. It may be tough. Not everyone will like it, but don't lose your head. And so how does he really motivate him? Well, he reminds Timothy of three great truths about the Bible. Verse 15, first, it's the book of salvation the book of salvation. It's the scriptures that make a person wise for salvation by pointing them to Jesus Christ. Now, of course, at this time, the the canon, the the New Testament wasn't fully uh, finished. Uh, And so Paul is particularly referring to the Old Testament. And the Old Testament can save us by pointing us to Christ. The message uh, of the scriptures, both old and now new, point us to Christ lead us to trust in him and so bring us salvation. And therefore, if we abandon a ministry, uh, abandon a church life based on this book, how will people know the message of salvation if this is where it's from? It may be possible to fill up a church building by some other method, but what is the point, ultimately, if people are not being saved, not being put in the right with God? So, Timothy, don't give up on the Bible. It's the book of salvation. John Wesley famously said this, I want to know the way to God, the way of salvation. God has condescended to write it down in a book. Oh, give me that book at all costs. Give me the book of God. It's the book of salvation. Second, it's God-breathed. Verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed. People talk about the Bible being inspired by God, but more accurately, it is expired by God, breathed out by him. It is his word. That's what this is saying. Although there are 66 books in the Bible written by many human authors, the same divine author stands behind each one of them. And by his Holy Spirit, 
Uh, he's so overruled in their thoughts uh, and their writing, so that even though they write with their own personalities uh, in their own situations, it can still be truly said that all scripture is God-breathed. And that, of course, makes it quite unlike any other book. It is unique. God has breathed it out. God has spoken to the world, and it's recorded in this book. At the coronation of Queen Elizabeth, these famous words were said to her when she was presented with a Bible by the moderator of the Church of Scotland. We present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. It is God-breathed. And then third, it gives us comprehensive teaching on belief and behaviour. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, uh, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. Sorry, I read from a different version there, didn't I? The actual Greek words help us to understand that belief and behaviour is in view here. And it's the same emphasis throughout the whole of 2 Timothy. Uh, The emphasis is on what we believe about God and how he wants us to then live. The words for teaching and rebuking here are words to do with mental processing, uh, to do with what we believe. And the words for correcting and training are, are more to do with how we behave, what we do. So the claim is the Bible is comprehensive, positively and negatively, for all belief and behaviour that God wants from us. So Paul can conclude in 17, this means that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Isn't that, isn't that just wonderful? Uh, that this book, uh, the message of it, can do that uh, for us. The Bible is sufficient for us, for all belief and behaviour that God wants from us. Now, a clarification. Uh, This should be obvious, but the sufficiency of the scriptures doesn't mean the Bible tells us about absolutely everything in the world. Uh, It doesn't uh, have that much to say about medicine, uh, for example, or financial markets, uh, or many other things. But it is sufficient for all God wants to tell us all that he wants to tell us about right belief in him and how he wants us to behave. So it's sufficient to tell us how to please him, in my case before, as a godly doctor or to be be a godly banker. Yes, I believe it is possible uh, to be such. The sufficiency of the Bible then, uh, it's a brilliant teaching uh, for us. And it's something that's always under attack. And there's always going to be a temptation to to doubt it. Uh, Just some ways that the sufficiency of the scriptures is uh, under attack. First way, you could call this Bible Plus. Uh, I know a few people in my old church in in London said they they loved the Bible teaching uh, and it was great. But they thought there needed to be something else there as well. In the sense that they needed to have some additional spiritual experience to hear all that God wants to tell us. Now it's important to listen Uh, to such a uh, criticism, uh, in case there's anything in it. But I think what they were saying was that uh, the Bible wasn't sufficient uh, for all God wants to tell us. If we faithfully teach the scriptures and live its message, we don't 
actually need anything else. The Bible tells us all God wants us to know to live for him. There are occasions from time to time when God will intervene in our lives in different ways. But this teaching means uh, we can be assured that if we've got the scriptures, we've got all all that we need to live the way God wants us to. Bible Plus. Uh, Quite a subtle, sometimes, way the sufficiency is undermined. Bible Minus, this is far more blatant. Uh, This is essentially where someone gets out the scissors and cuts out the parts of the Bible uh, that, uh, for some reason, they don't want to to have there anymore. Uh, But, of course, if what Paul is saying is true, then how can you take away something that has been breathed out by God uh, and the scripture he's saying is all being breathed out by God. So someone to add to the Bible, someone to take away from it, someone to change the Bible, distort its message to make it more plausible uh, or more um, acceptable. Uh, or there's another way, which is a bit more subtle, and that is to say that the Bible is true for back then when it was written. But it's not up to date. Uh, it set a trajectory back then, And God wants us now to discover new things and new ways. You could call this the Bible in progress. That is to say that the Bible is the word of God. Yes, I agree with that. It spoke clearly in its generation. But now we live in a different time. Uh, God's revelation continues. New things come uh, and maybe some old things go. I think this is one that's particularly relevant in our own church uh, denomination and communion. Nobody, as far as I can see, generally speaking, is outright denying the Bible, but they are saying that the Bible's revelation, or God's revelation, is in some sense still in progress. And so therefore, the Bible in itself is no longer sufficient. We need something else. But if Paul is speaking the truth here, then that can't be right, can it? It is sufficient. There is uh, a, a deposit of apostolic teaching that we have uh, that will uh, do all these wonderful things for us. It's the book of salvation, it's God-breathed, and it's comprehensive for belief and behaviour. So when it comes to a faithful ministry of the gospel in a local church, the Bible's message is all we need. The gospel is what brings the church into being. The gospel is what enables the church to be what God wants it to be. So don't give up on the Bible for anything in the world. Don't give up on it in your personal reading. Uh, what, a, what an amazing privilege to hear from the living God day by day. Don't give up on it here as the heart of our public teaching. Don't give up on it as the heart of our small group ministry. Of course, house groups uh, do lots of wonderful things, including fellowship. Uh, but at its heart, uh, there's got to be this Bible teaching driving it along. If what Paul says is true, it would be utter madness, wouldn't it, uh, to turn away from the scriptures. The Bible is all we need. If the church is like a motor car, the Bible needs to be in the driving seat firmly. That's the message of the dying Apostle Paul uh, that he has for Timothy, the next generation, uh, and I trust, therefore, for all of the church ever since. This is the message of the church uh, to hold on to since the apostles died. Don't give up on the Bible. Don't give up on the Bible, Justin Welby. That's the one piece of advice I think Paul would have for us in this generation. Don't give up on the Bible at St Mary's. Uh, It's worth suffering for. It's worth going to prison for. This is the authentic uh, Christian ministry. Let's pray.
so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Father, thank you for these amazing words here that remind us of the nature of the Bible. Please, please help us. If we're not yet convinced, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will illuminate the words of the Bible in our hearts that we may accept it as not just a word from men, but a word from you. And if we have accepted it, uh, may we never, never, never let it go. May we keep reading it and delighting in what you have to say for us. In Jesus' name, amen.